It's a car. It's a vehicle. You could have several vehicles. You could abandon a vehicle. You could fix one. You could sell one. You know, like you could fix one up and it's fun and it's really not worth that much, but you love it. All of those things are fine. The key part is like, what do you want and what are you interested and willing to do to use this vehicle to move you in the direction of your dreams? Welcome to the I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast. My name is Dan Claps, founder and CEO of Franchise Playbook, a franchisor platform where we create, own, and operate dynamic franchise brands in the mobile services space. And my life's goal is to help people just like you fire their boss and become a business owner. And I'm Christian Dadalak, top franchise consultant and co-founder of Real Franchising, a leading franchise consulting firm. And together, we're on a mission to help people fire their boss, hire themselves, and live the American dream through franchise ownership. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the I Fired My Boss podcast. If you're listening in, I encourage you to go to YouTube so you can watch this interview because we've got all some amazing backgrounds, I have to say, in the uh, video. <laughs> um, wanted to, you know kick this episode off. Obviously, we've got Christian Danilak, my co-host, and, and a very, very special guest, Ellen Rohr, who I've had the pleasure to have met um, on some panels and some different interactions in the franchise community. And we've built a nice uh, a burgeoning relationship. So wanted to uh, introduce you. Ellen, how are you doing today? I'm so excited to be here. I We hit it off right away. Love your energy, Christian. Thanks for setting this up. And and uh, no, I think we're, we're at the beginning of a long and prosperous relationship. Absolutely. And Christian, how are you doing this afternoon? I am doing well, man. Monday, it's a little overcast here in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. But yeah, I'm pumped, man. I'm super, super excited for the guest today. I mean, Ellen is a, a pretty amazing track record and background. So I'm really excited to, to dive in. I know this is going to be one that people uh, don't want to miss. So excited to, to dive in. Excellent. Yeah, I was out there actually in, in uh, as you know, in, in Phoenix uh, for the IFA a couple last week. Amazing, amazing weather. And, and Ellen, I, I got the chance to, to hang out with Tommy Mello thanks to your introduction. Uh, life-changing day for me, honestly. Um, but yeah, to kick off, you know, if you've listened to our podcast, we never like to give your bio. We want you to. So maybe if you could share with our audience a little bit about yourself. Well, before I do, I'm so intrigued. What made it life-changing? Like what stuck with you? You go to seminar and a lot of stuff is inspiring, but then it can wash away like in the next day or two. So what stuck with you from the the event, the International Franchise Association event for you? Well, for me, it was, I, I got the day, I got to spend the day with Tommy from 1 p.m. till 7 p.m. We did a shop tour. That was cool. Um, I kind of noticed that my, not to put down the, the people there, but my questions or what I was thinking about was a lot less technical, more about building a business. But then I got two hours with him. We did a podcast together and it ended up being two hours long. Um, so two things that were, uh, and these going to sound opposite of each other. One was, holy crap, this guy is freaking brilliant. Oh my goodness. But then the other side of me saying, wow, I'm not too far off, if that makes mm -hmm. any sense. Like a few more books, a few more years of experience. Um, and just, just, just really, I left, I left the shop saying, man, they're doing a lot of amazing things, but really the focus on we're going to sell 18,000 jobs and focus on quality service and the things that we all talk about. 
really made me excited to kind of see where we're direct, you know, direction vote is heading. So it was just, it was so cool. And like, just the fact that like the business is that big and the whole day he didn't look at his phone one time. It was unbelievable. Like it was, it was pretty cool. What I love about how that all came together was that you worked your, your relationships to make that so. We met each other. I don't know how Tommy's name came up and you said, I really want to meet Tommy. And I'm like, I know Tommy. And that was just like, that is how business is done. It's not what you know, it's who you know over and over. And that's certainly been my experience. And if we can add that as a backdrop to our time together, you know, the name of this podcast is I Fired My Boss. I could tell my story. I've had a million jobs. I've gotten fired several times. (laughs) And I don't know, raise your hand if you think maybe you're just not a great employee. I say that as I'm taking on yet another job. Like there are parts of me that are, that are, not going to fit the the mold of being a great employee. I see you guys are, are shaking your head. Yes. And so perhaps what we could look for in our enterprises are ways for us to be entrepreneurial, even if we're working with someone else. I, I think that's kind of what's obsessing me right now. But my, my story, and we've got a short amount of time, so I'm going to tell my story fast. But I got into the trades because I married a plumber. Not unusual. A lot of family-owned businesses in our in our world. Uh, I married a plumber. His name was Hot Rod. That's why I married him. You know, how do you pass that up? So, uh, and then I found out he's a plumber, and I thought, well, that's cool. But growing up, I didn't. We didn't call people. My dad wasn't handy. Uh, we just. I didn't know anything about the trades. But then when I met my husband, what I love about Hot Rod is what I love about tradespeople. No nonsense, no BS. It works or it doesn't. It leaks or it doesn't. You know, in time of need, the the tornado comes, the storms happen. Who do you call it? You call responsible people like Hot Rod, like tradespeople. And I just really fell in love with um, tradespeople being exposed to them from my husband and his uh, network of friends and you know, electricians and roofers and and HVAC guys. And I loved all of it. Now we had... um, a very classic uh, uh, a situation, mom-pop shop. My husband's partner died early on, worked himself into a health crisis, 33 years old, died. And so I quit my real job at this point. I went to work with Hot Rod. We hated each other. We still don't, we don't work together anymore. We did so much damage in the early years that it was terrible. So it's um, with a lot of empathy and love that I, um, you know, talk about family business and all the, the the trials and tribulations there. But I was fortunate enough to have great mentors. And it's why I'm here today. So many people were generous with me. But like you, Dan, if once I started to figure out that like, um, I didn't know what I was doing, I started to reach out. And um, my first uh, great business mentor, Frank Blau, met him in a magazine. Now we meet people on podcasts but I met him, wrote him a letter, and he called me up and told me that I had my head so far up my... I mean, like, really, it, it was, he was the first one to just, like, completely hit me with the brick and go, you're going to sink this business. You don't know what you're doing. You're not charging enough. You think you know everything because you got a college degree. You should just shut this sucker down, is really what he told me to do. But instead, I learned from him and my whole life, like you, Dan, I recognize the kindred spirit. If somebody has something I want to know, I will 
crawl across the mountain to go find them and meet them and go to their shop and ask them questions. And so often in my life, like you just experienced, one, I'm I'm inspired and I see some things that I could apply and could use. And two, I think we got this. This guy doesn't have it all together. Nobody has it all together. This is gonna, this is something I can do. I've got goosebumps. I I so related to you telling that story. Very, very validating that you're on the right track, right? So over and over again, that's really been what's happened. And I've I've had a lot of experiences. I was president of Benjamin Franklin, the punctual plumber once upon a time, got my feet wet with franchising there. And then now I'm a board member and shareholder of Zoom Drain. So drain cleaning professionals, fast, focus, fixed. That's what I do now. Also, I'm a podcaster. So here we are. That's an excellent story. You know, it's uh, it's so interesting. Like, the focus on providing a high level of service and, you know, a good customer experience, not only in the technical side, but the sales side as well, was really what, you know, and I know that sounds so basic, like, oh, just provide a better service. But when you talk about really leaning into building a culture in your company, that's not easy to do. It's a lot of investment of time and money and energy. And that's what I believe your organization has done. That's what I believe, you know, Voda has done. That's what I believe A1 Garage Doors has done. Com- uh, Christian's company, Franchise Sidekick, has done. Um, so I guess for one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, um, what's that like? You know, you, you mentioned that a year and a half ago, it was you and a part-timer. Now you got 14 people on the team, big company, you've grown, you know, quickly, but, you know, in, in the right way. Um, you know, what's it like being kind of the steward of this business, but now being out of somewhat out of the driver's seat, meaning not running the day to day? Is that something you're enjoying or is it hard to adjust to? Well, it all keeps, it all keeps moving. And I'm, I'm, I remember, um, I don't know if you know the Casebeers, Radiant Plumbing, Brad and Sarah Casebeer. I knew I met them when they had like just a, a, a 300,000 in sales for the year. You know, now that's like a Tuesday, but, um, the, uh, uh, these guys, as they were growing their business and they hit about 50 million, I remember saying to, to Brad, what's it like? How do, you, how do you hit 50 million? He said, I didn't know till I got here. <laughs> you just like, you're just still like figuring it out day to day. And um, uh, it's super exciting, but I don't, you know, I think it is really encouraging to realize nobody has it all together. Nobody, you know, fires their boss, starts their own business, and it's just like this smooth up and to the right curve. It's it's a hot mess. And and um I think what makes the difference is to embrace that adventure. You know, this is what I like I mentioned to you about Tommy. Tommy fails fast, he gets over it. There's not a lot of uh self-flagellation or talking about it. He just like gets back up, oh, that didn't work, and then moves on. And that resiliency, that detachment that this is just a game, it's not me. I'm still worth everything that a human being is worth. This like, it's just like, my friend Howard Partridge describes it like this. He says, your business exists for one reason only, and that's to drive you in the direction of your life dreams. It's a car. It's a vehicle. You could have several vehicles. You could abandon a vehicle, you could fix one, you could sell one, you know, like you could fix one up and it's fun and it's really not worth that much, but you love it. All of those things are fine. The key part is like, what do you want and what are you interested and willing to do 
to use this vehicle to move you in the, the direction of your dreams. There is no one franchise that's going to make your dreams come true. There's no perfect business model. You know, I think we're attracted to the trades and, and uh, Christian, you might weigh in here too. I, I think in my career, I've had a million jobs before I married my husband. I had a whole bunch of jobs, a lot of restaurant jobs, uh, all sorts of bizarro things. But what I love so much about being in the, the trades, and I'm really a champion of the trades. I don't ever do any like wrench turning or anything. I just love them and feel obligated to help tradespeople's lives get better. But what I love about them is at the end of the day, things are better. The world works better. Problems are solved. Like there was a mess. There's not a mess anymore. There's a clogged drain or no power or no heat or no cool or, you know, a, a leaky roof. At the end of the day, things are better. I'm never not delighted by the wake that we leave as we move through this world. So I don't know, Christian, if you want to take it from there, like what, how does that hit you? I mean, it hits me. A couple of things you said hit me hit me pretty good there. Um, one of them being that at the end of the day, business is a vehicle. And like you said, there's different types of vehicles. Some are fast, some are slow. And obviously, we're all champions of the home services industry. When I uh, introduce candidates to franchise opportunities, I'm a pretty big proponent of at least looking at and investigating some home services franchises for a variety of reasons. Of course, there's challenges and drawbacks, but I think that there's a lot of key advantages to a home services business for the right kind of person. But I'm what I'd be curious to know is someone that obviously has just done a tremendous amount in the home services industry. What is your case for why home services is an amazing vehicle for succeeding in business? Um, I, uh, I, when you said that, like what popped into my head was Warren Buffett once said that he doesn't invest in companies he doesn't understand. So like he wasn't a big techie investor because he just didn't get it. And I think that that, uh, that applies to me too. Like if the business is, I might, I might invest in crypto, you know, like, okay, put some money on the table, but I don't understand it. So I'm not putting all my chips on, on something like that, right? Or, you know, we have investments and I really don't know very much about what they're doing or why I don't talk to their board of directors. So like the biggest investment you're gonna make is a business of your own. That's probably why you're listening to this podcast. And so to, to pick something that you can get your arms around, I think makes sense. Like as a homeowner, even like I, I don't bring anything to the table as a technician, but I certainly know what it's like to be a homeowner. And sometimes I think, how are our close rates not 100%? Because if you came to my house, first off, I would find you. I'm looking around my house. Okay, if I need a landscaper, I would ask my neighbor whose yard is beautiful. I would ask people for referrals, right? Okay, how do you find a, a landscaper? And then once I get a landscaper and love her, which I love my landscaper, I would ask her, do you know um, uh, uh, the window cleaner? or uh, a guy who would do the, the lawn. So then you start asking other folks. So like, it just seems to me that all you gotta do is show up clean, sober, on time, dressed right, use the checklist, and I'll pay you anything. I'll pay you anything. I even said to my landscaper, I said, who pays you faster than me? Who, I have never complained about your prices. I have never even asked about them. You just show up 
And I'm so happy. Would you just put me on the top of your list? And she said, yes. So like, that's who I would buy from. And that's who our customer is, is someone who just wants to find their guy. And the bar is generally so low in our industries that Christian, who do you have to take out to be the best drain cleaner? It's not like you have to take out FedEx or Disney. You you see where I'm going? Like there's really good people, but there's so much business illiteracy. There's so many challenges with a lot of these small mom-pop businesses. That's why I'm obsessed with helping contractors make money because unless you make some money, you can't afford to do a great job. So that's where I think, you know, one of the cases to be made for why would you select home services is that people are really eager to buy from someone who shows up clean, sober, on time, dressed right, uses a checklist, and then they found their guy and they're going to refer them. And this is how you build a, a legacy business. So yeah, and of course, it's not seasonal and it's, um, you know, how poor do you have to be before you're not going to call a drain cleaner? You know, it's really, these are emergency situations. So yeah, there's a lot to like about the trades in general, for sure. If you'd like our help investing in a franchise at no cost to you, head over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a free consultation. I've had someone explain to me before that a lot of the home services franchises bring a certain white collar professionalism to what is otherwise a blue collar industry. And there's been a recent rush in many cases, a lot of home services, uh, companies that have done it well, done it right, been able to deliver a great customer service experience, have started to franchise their business. And there's been a big like home services rush in franchising. And so I guess the question is, do you see it ever changing where what typically has been more or less an unsophisticated industry where there's a lot of business illiteracy, like you mentioned, do you see that shifting down the road where it does get more competitive because there's so much, uh, so many franchises coming into that space? What is your take on that? Oh, I, I think the the biggest threat we have right now is someone figuring out how cool my model is. <laughs> so for sure, like, hurry guys, let's go while we still have this advantage. Um, but, you know, what? I'm old. So like 40 years ago, I've been married 40 years. This is how I got introduced to the whole world. 40 years ago, there was no exit strategy for a contractor, just zero. And in the late 1990s, there was this movement of companies that went public. There was service experts and Blue Dot and American Residential Service. There was a handful of of companies that went public. And I'm like watching this going, you can do that? That's possible here? Like, you gotta be kidding me. It was complete mind blow. Now, there are also people at that time, then a year or two after, the stock prices went up, And then they dropped and then they were purchased and broken apart and everything else. That will happen again. It always does. So there'll be this big wave of consolidation and then it will just, you know, just disintegrate. That's not the right word, but, you know, go go in pieces again. And then there'll be other like things that uh, join together. This is just the cycle of an economic society you know the the economy the economy of the united states has just been a like a life lesson and how this happened but it just finally happened to our industry now i might even say but wow the prices that people now are getting the selling prices that, that contractors are getting for their companies like tommy as they get investors and we have investors are attracting investment like never before covid was very good to us right that 
you know, the bouncy ball castle franchise kind of lost some luster during a shutdown. So where are they going to put their money? Then home services, again, attracted all this PE and it still is. Is it a bubble? Is it going to, are these, these multipliers going to last? Probably not, but they've lasted further than I would have imagined they did. And to your point, as long as there is this understanding that these are real businesses with sophisticated strategy and uh, blue, uh, white collar influence on a blue collar world, you're still in pretty rarefied air right now if you build a company like that. I mean, most contractors are just a couple of trucks and they're not going to make it very far. You know, they're not going to have anything to sell or to pass on. It's just the sad, the sad reality of it. I don't think people really fully understand the growth of home services as a, as a market cap. Like if you, if you think about home services, it's a 500 plus billion dollar annual industry and it's expected to go to 625 billion by the year 2025, which is what is 20, whatever percent increase that is. It's so much of an increase. And we're talking about why do you think private equity is buying homes and, and apartment complexes and, and, you know, and, and everything else. And, you know, what's, what's so interesting to me is just with, it doesn't matter if there's competitors, that growth will just continue to grow. I'll give you an example. In my industry, you know, there's a massive company out there. They're called ServPro. And ServPro is like a $3 billion a year business. They're giant in a $300 billion industry. So they're not giant comparative to, it's a very fragmented industry. Um, same with, with, with plumbing. And, and so it's just so interesting to me because I think rookie business owners or first-time business owners, they focus on how can I make the best product ever? And um, second-time entrepreneurs actually focus on how can I make... I mean, obviously, I want to make the best product too, but how can I make the best distribution model? And so it's interesting for, for, for us, what we've done, and Ellen, and same for you, is you've brought in these high-caliber franchise owners. You've partnered them with incredible systems. And I don't even know how anyone can compete when you have a, an A an A player and an A system. And sometimes you have B and C players, but an A system and an A player and brand and all these other things you guys are doing, the local plumber just can't can't compete with that. It's, it's very difficult to, which many of them will still have plenty of market share. Most people, if you've been in business five, 10 years, most business owners in the mom and pop space, they're not trying to grow a 300% year over year. They're happy with what they're making. So people don't realize you're not going in to take away all this market share from someone else. You're going in where there's a new blue ocean market share that you could take on. Well, and, and uh, consider to that market share, if most of your market is being served already, like in our industry, it is. They're not going without some kind of drain cleaning. Who is, who is that person and can you take them? There's that classic joke. Um, two guys are running in the forest and they hear a bear. And the one guy bends down to tie his shoes and the other guy says, you can't outrun a bear. And he says, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. And that's, you know, that's really where we're going. Like, and as you take on a franchise or you start a business, not everybody's going to be successful. But what about you? What are you going to do? with this franchise model. And if anybody does it, then it's like breaking the four-minute mile barrier. Or I remember I was a windsurfer instructor, one of my million jobs. And on one day, the windsurfer did a full 360. Somebody jumped in the air and went all the way around with the windsurfer. And that next day, dozens of people across the world then did it. 
you know, just like, what are you going to do? What is possible? And if anybody's done it before, then, then get going. By the way, it was at that point that they took the whole sail off the windsurfer and it turned into kite surfing. Just saying, like, you know, these things evolve. So, uh, no, I think the industry has got so much potential, but let's look at who else is out there. Now, bigger companies are finding some really great exit strategies or partnerships or investment capital stuff we've never seen before. So exciting. Note that if most of the fragmented industry you're dealing with in your market area, your competition has no exit strategy, you could make an exit strategy for them. I'm really obsessed with these other end of the spectrum acquisitions. And that can be as easy as their phone number points to you and you pay them a percentage of sales that come in on that phone number when the guy's 80 years old and he doesn't know what to do and his kid doesn't want it. And, you know, like there's so many opportunities to, to make a win-win outcome of an exit strategy for people who don't really have a good exit strategy. And I, you know, it's easier than you think. It's all about relationships. In fact, it all begins with this referral partnership. Uh, these referral partnerships, relationships that you're creating in your market area. Uh, who was it? It was it was Voda, wasn't it? Who said he wants to be the mayor? Who's who's the other Steve on your team? Steve, our VP of development, says, "Well, we only accept what we call the mayor of the town in our system." Steve, thank you, because I've used that a hundred times since, Steve. And oh, Mona, you know we trademarked that? No, it's no, it's out there now, man. It's out there now. But it's such a such a great, concise way to say it, that you want to be that person in your area that people seek the counsel of, hey, I've got a problem with this. I need to find somebody to do that. And that relationship building is everything, including a, a good referral partner now may even turn into an acquisition prospect later, depending what happens in their life. So exciting. This is such a great way to to um, leverage what we're learning about companies as vehicles. I love the analogy to the uh, the business as a vehicle. It's, That's Howard Partridge. Love him. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, it's funny. Like In building Voda, I had to change a lot of my lifestyle because it requires so much of me. And I, I had this initial, or I still have some friction in, in, you know, personal relationships. And a lot of times people will say to me two things. They'll say, life is about living. You got to live. And it's funny. I've skied. I, I switched to skiing this year. Um, I've skied 60 something hours this season. I'll be at a hundred hours by the end of the season. I'll have, you know, they say it takes a hundred hours to kind of become not a novice at something. You know, I'm living, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying this in a bragging way, but like I'm living in Florida from New York. I'm going back to New York after a bit of time. You know, I can go on and on. I'm living more of a life than I've ever lived while working more than I've ever lived. But what's interesting is even if I were to be in a closet working 24 hours a day for one year, it's a vehicle to get me to where I'm going. And I just think it's so interesting because when we have people come into looking at Voda, they'll say, well, I want to make a half million dollars a year, you know, double my income and I want to work 20 hours a week. And I'll always say, well, what if you could just work the same amount of time and work for yourself. And maybe you make less, but you step like one step toward you know, being on your own. And then eventually we can do all these crazy things. The reality is you're actually nervous to do something. So you're creating parameters that, you know, you'll never buy a business because those parameters are so unrealistic. Just like getting married to like this perfect, you know, idea in your head. It's, you got to make a decision and commit to, you know, whatever you want to do. And, but I, I just think it's so interesting seeing business owners um, 
you know, talk about these crazy ideas or working their butt off for 20 years. And it's like, look, just give me 18 months. Work as hard, if not harder, for, for yourself that you did for your boss for 18 months. And then I want you to look up and see where you're at. And then you can maybe calm down, but or work less. But I just, I just think it's so interesting. It's a vehicle. You're not doing it because, you know, any other reason other than you want to build a life around your business. Well, and what is so hard? Let's define hard. Jim Rohn says, easy is something you can do. So like if you break down like the actual activities, what is hard? Making another phone call? Checking on a job? Ordering parts? Working with your marketing guy? Reading a book? Listening to podcasts? Like what piece of it is so hard? And if you were to question that, and first off, quit whining about it, you'll save half the time that you've got. But like the pieces of it aren't that hard. And when you run it, like if you were to write a book, are you going to write about how smooth and upward to the right it was? Or are you going to talk about the the challenges? That's the the hero's journey, the epic adventure. That's what, oh, that's what business is. That's where the songs are written and the art is created. That's the good stuff. The hard stuff is the good. Like, so unless that resonates with you, Pause a minute with entrepreneurship. Like it, this, you, you really are going to have a life. So you go skiing. I bet you made a few phone calls while you're on the plane. You're texting. Like, you know, there's, there's work that you're fitting in life, but none of it is awful. I remember I moved to Vermont. I moved to Vermont to be a ski bump, born and raised in Utah. And I moved to Vermont when I was 20 because I was a hack skier. And I knew that it could be fun, but I wasn't having fun. I was living in this world of fear. So I moved to Vermont and this one guy is telling me, oh, the winters here are awful. They go on forever and ever. And I'm thinking they are. And then this other guy chimed in and he said, they're not awful. It's just winter. You should go outside. <laughs> you know, it's really just that matter of perspective. Is winter awful? Not if you ski. You know, so like it depends on what you're going to do with it. And that would be my encouragement. You know, fire your boss and then just embrace those story making moments that are inevitable every day. So you get the catalytic converter stolen. Then what? What happened next? What'd you do? How'd you get the, the trucks back on the road? That's where the adventure lies. And I encourage you to find the adventure. I love it. Yeah, these are J curves. Sometimes you have to take a step back so you can take a step forward a bigger step forward than you ever would have been able to do otherwise. And some stuff's out of your control, let it go. And you know what's in your hula hoop? I heard a guy say that once and I loved it so much. I work on what's on my, in my hula hoop. There's plenty to do there. You know, there, you know the stuff that's outside of your control, noted. Um, but then what can you do in response to that will make a big difference in, in, your, in your success or your just enjoyment of your life as you work maybe harder than you ever have. Ellen, always love having you talking with you. I could talk to you all day. It's it's great. You always give me such energy. We appreciate having you on the show. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Yay. Well, we'll do it again. And let's introduce each other to some fun guests. And I'll have you on my show. Love to. Absolutely. You're f***ing fired. If you want to say those words to your boss... Make sure you head on over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a no-cost consultation. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend who might also want to fire their boss. 